Would you please welcome back Benjamin Franklin? Well, well, how nice of you to come. So many of you. It's not often when someone my age has this many people at his funeral. <laughs> of course, you know who I am. I am Ben Franklin, or you wouldn't be here. And I'm glad you came. Wish they hadn't made such a fuss about it. You know, I'm just an ordinary man. And I happened to find out a few new things that I spread around and told everybody else about. Well, I guess I got that because I've always wondered about how things work or why this happened. And that's what led to my lifelong love of books. And I loved books and still love them to this day. I guess uh, it all started when I was eight years old. My father thought it was time to send me off to school so I could learn to read and write. He gave me two years to do that. (laughs) Then he thought by the time I was ten, it was time for me to learn a trade. So he wanted to teach me his trade, candle making. (laughs) Well, I did not like candle making. My father realized this, and he thought that since I showed such a love for books, that perhaps I would like to be a printer. And my brother James was already a printer. So my father sent me off to him for an apprenticeship of nine years. Nine years. I was 12 years old. It was an eternity. But I worked hard, and I learned fast. And soon I was one of my brother's best helpers. But what I really wanted to do was to write, and to write for his newspaper. I had written, I read so many books, and I rewrote everything that I read. You know, in some cases, I think what I wrote was better than what I read in the first place. But I knew my brother would never let me write. He would think I was just too young and trying to get too big for my britches. Then one day, A letter was slipped under the door of the print shop. My brother read it and realized that it it offered a great deal of uh, social commentary and things that were appropriate to the community. And it was signed by someone he didn't know. Someone signed, The Widow Do Good. Well, he printed it anyway in his newspaper. He liked it so much. And the people liked it too. And so as the letters came, he he continued to print them. Little did he know. When he found out that I was the one writing them, instead of being proud, he was angry and he became very strict and very harsh to me. He would not let me grow. And so I decided to run away. Oh, I know it was wrong. But you don't realize how strict and harsh he was to me. I've sold some of my books and got enough money for passage to New York City. One night, I was 
stood by the railing and I watched my beloved Boston fade into the misty darkness. New York was a small town. There was only one printer. He told me he had no space for someone. But he said he also, he had heard of something in Philadelphia and that perhaps I could get work there. So I started out for Pennsylvania. I got passage, had enough money to get passage to the Jersey coast. From there I would have to walk. It was a hundred miles. I set out walking. Seventeen years old, you know. I, and then, of course, it started to rain on me. The rain lasted for days. I trudged through ruts and, and mud. I was beginning to feel sorry that I had ever run away from home. But I finally reached the Delaware River, and there I was able to get passage on a, a, a sailing ship uh, to all the way to Philadelphia. The problem was I had to row if the wind died. Of course it did. By the time I reached Boston, my hands were covered with blisters. Arriving in Philadelphia, it was on a Sunday morning, and of course all of all of the people in the area there were dressed in their Sunday clothes. You can imagine how I looked. I was dirty, muddy, bone tired, and hungry. That's the way it was when I stepped out that first time onto Market Street and began walking down it. People looked at me, they laughed. They must have thought I was some kind of strange traveler. But I went on down. Even then, a, a young girl stepped out of, on her front porch just as I passed by, and she started giggling at me. <laughs> well, I didn't really mind. I was looking at the girl. <laughs> she was very pretty. I walked on. I was so tired. I finally came to a Quaker church. I was able to just walk in. By the time I sat down in the pew, I was already asleep, it seemed. They let me sleep till the end of the service, and someone told me where I could find a place of lodging and a place to get food. Well, after a good night's rest and a proper scrubbing, I felt I was able to face the world the next day, and before long I got work as a printer. Now, news about me spread that I became, became well-known as a sort of clever young man and all of that. And the governor even came to see me one day. Well, forming in the back of my mind all this time was the idea of being the owner of my own print shop. I expressed this idea to the governor, and he thought, uh, he seemed to like me, and he thought that it might not be a bad idea. And so he said, first, however, you should go back to Boston and apologize to your father and your brother for running away and ask your brother and father for financial support to open your own shop. Well, I did that. Great disappointment. Great disappointment. My father did forgive me, but he would not help me financially. Greater disappointment came when my brother 
would not even talk to me, let alone forgive me. It was many years before we were friends again. I left Boston somewhat dejected and at a loss as to what to do with my life. But when I returned to Philadelphia, I saw the governor again shortly, and he said, if they won't help you, I will. And he said, I'll send you off on a boat to England and write letters ahead, and I'll send money. He made me all these great promises. It all happened so quickly that before I knew it, I found myself on a ship going to London. Well, I got there on Christmas, 1724. Imagine how I felt when I found out the governor had not kept his word. He had sent neither money nor letters. And now I had to pay for this costly trip as well as to try to get back. But I was a printer and a good one. And I finally found work in some of the better houses in England, where I learned so much more about printing than I ever even dreamed existed. When I returned to Philadelphia 18 months later, I think I was the best printer in the colonies. With the help of a few friends, sometime later I was able to open a shop of my own. I worked hard early and late. And I built up a good business. It was flourishing. Something was missing from my life, however. It was the love and companionship of a wife and family. So I began looking around because of an affair that I had had. I found myself the father of a son. That was some impetus, too, to go forward. I did find someone. If you think back a little bit, you might realize who it was. It was the young girl who giggled at me from the front porch the first day I stepped down Market Street. Her name is Debbie Reed. We were married in October of 1730. She was wonderful. She helped me through everything. Helped my house, took care of the house, even helped me in the shop. Now, I told you a little bit about my printing. Ideas for things just flowed over me sometimes, like, like a shower of water. I would just think about something, and then I'd have to work on it, it seemed. I was interested in all things. One day I thought about what, how our old fireplace wasn't making enough heat. And with, with some experimentation and some trials, I created a stove which took care of all of the problems of that, keeping cold air out and making the, making the cold air warm for all in the room without costing so much wood. It was the, called, finally, the Franklin Stove. It became popular in Philadelphia, then the colonies. I even heard they were making them in London. But things were still entering my mind. I, and I, you know, when you're interested in everything that exists, it's hard to find out or to think about what to do next. But Thing, one thing had been coming to the forefront, and that was electricity. Now, they were doing experiments with electricity in England. So I sent off for some equipment to make some experiments of my own. 
I had the idea that lightning and electricity were the same thing, and I was try going to try to prove it. Now, lightning was dangerous. It destroyed and killed people every time it struck, it seemed. And I thought, if lightning is electricity, then I could put some sort of metal rod on the top of buildings that would attract the lightning to it, and then it could be channeled safely into the earth below where it could do no harm. If lightning is electricity. One day a storm was brewing. My son and I took a kite and flew it into the, into the clouds. On this end was a, a key. My son had a piece of equipment, carried a piece of equipment which would register electrical current. And soon the lightning struck the kite. The key created a spark which registered on the equipment, so I knew that lightning is electricity. I knew that my lightning rods would work. Almost instantly, the story about my lightning and electricity experiments spread around the world. And I became world famous. And I loved it. <laughs> now, Despite all of this, things were happening in Philadelphia that were making colonists uncomfortable. Oh, King George would not let us tax some of the properties in Pennsylvania because they were owned by people who lived in England. We didn't like that very much. Someone thought somebody should go there and do something about it. All of a sudden, it turned out that someone they wanted to go was me. So, with under pressure from the government and from the people I knew, I set off for my second time to England, this time to talk to the king about taxes. Two great tragedies happened while I was in England. First was my son. He went with me. And while he was there, and we were there, He decided to join with the British against the American cause, cause which I was now prepared to give my life for. To see him turn against it saps the strength of my very soul. And then my wife Debbie had not wanted to come to England with us. She was fearful of the ocean crossing. While I was there, she died. Oh. Never to be with her again. Never to see her. Never to touch her hand. Lost, the loss of these two was almost more than I could stay. I said, how, how much does a man have to bear? How much does he have to give? My, my son and my wife. Excuse me. Forgive me. 
I was there for 10 years to no avail. The king would do nothing. I returned to Philadelphia and gave my report. The colonists were angry. King George wanted our money, but he did not want to let us control our own destiny. Well, now, <laughs> the spring and summer of 1776, oh, those were busy times in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, it all had to do, of course, with people wanting, some people wanting to make our colonies an independent country, separate from England. Well, they, some people didn't like it, but we met and we find, well, you know all the stories. We signed, Frank, uh, they signed the declaration that Thomas wrote so beautifully, and we were going to war. We were unified in our cause, but it would take more than unity to win this war. It would take soldiers, take money, and it would take weapons. The soldiers were in good hands. General Washington could handle that. But money and arms, that was something else. Now, at that time, everything was not against us, though. Because France and England were not so happy with each other at that particular time. So some people thought that France would help us win our war with England. They thought somebody should go and see about that. This was all beginning to sound familiar to me. And yes, uh, they decided I should go. So at age 70, I set out on my third ocean voyage this time for France, also to talk to another king. Now, the people in France loved me, but the court was not so pleased. They were not wanting to make an outward break or a public break with England at this time. But they did agree to send us money and arms. That was a major victory. And when our forces made its first military major victory, I was able to convince them to recognize us as an independent country. That was a major victory, too. I spent nine years in Paris till the war was over and a treaty was signed with England. Then I could go home work finished. I can't forget the day I sailed up into the port at Philadelphia. There were the people, the throngs of people to greet me, but among all and most, my daughter and my grandchildren, they threw their arms around me and, and I around them, and it was home. Looked around me. I, I saw the same Market Street that I had trod down so many years before, tired and dirty. It was the same Philadelphia, it appeared. The same sky above with the sun shining down on us, but now it was the sun of liberty 
justice and independence. Now I was really home. Now I could sit in the shade of that mulberry tree in the backyard, (laughs) play with my grandchildren, or just watch them at play, or read one of my beloved books. Well, I think they're about ready to take my tired old body down to the cemetery. Found a wonderful place for it. It's under a tree overlooking the Delaware River, and the tree has the birds that sing in it and, and the grass with the flowers and all. I'm going to love it there. I'm ready to go if they are. I'm ready to repose myself in the arms of God like a child in the arms of its mother. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.